You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You can find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is now a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You can find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guests today are Judge David Serto, a true patriot, Brian Alvey, and Rebecca Mills, who is also a patriot and someone I don't know, but she has a very unique story, and you may have actually heard part of it. We're going to talk to her about it and talk to her about the Veterans Court and how she knows Judge David Serto, who started a Veterans Court a few years ago. It's a marvelous, marvelous enterprise. We want to talk to him. And Brian Alvey, who I'm sure all of you have heard of, a true warrior and an all-around good guy who likes me even though I don't drink and I don't smoke. And I appreciate that, Brian. The reason we're all <laughs> the reason we're on the podcast today is it's a special Veterans Day podcast. Uh, I counted a, co- uh, a couple nights ago and within my generation uh, in one either way in my family, we have 14 veterans. And we do a lot for veterans, but it can be argued we don't do enough, and we're talking to some folks today who do a lot, and I want to very quickly dedicate this podcast to two people, uh, P.E. McAllister, a veteran of World War II, and my son, Joshua, who did two tours in Afghanistan. Judge Serto, Brian, Rebecca, thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Grateful to be with you, Robert. Thank you for serving our country. Well, thank you very, very much. Congratulations on your reelection. It's a or, great privilege, believe me. Or, or is it retention? Congratulations on your retention. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to you, set the table for this, for your veterans court. Uh, Dave Serto is a judge here in Marion County, uh, worked with others to come up with this terrific initiative. Dave, tell us all about it. Robert, the evidence is that veterans get arrested at a lower rate than civilians. And when we apply the right interventions, succeed at a higher rate than people who haven't done those hard things that veterans are used to doing every day. It turns out, though, if we can apply what evidence tells us from a long history in drug court and a more recent history in veterans courts across our country, we can help veterans win again and win fast. I love working with veterans, although I'm a little shy because I'm not one myself, because veterans are used to working in teams, doing hard things, helping each other get back up when they've fallen down. And we work and live in a community 
that values, in fact, treasures what veterans have done for our country. So it's my great privilege to help veterans when they get arrested, get enrolled in treatment, often with the VA, but most people don't know that not everyone who served qualifies for veterans benefits through the Veterans Administration, and then help them get things back on track, perhaps with jobs, certainly with housing, reconnecting with their families. In some cases, getting arrested might be the best thing that happened to a struggling veteran in crisis. And what we do day to day is try to grab veterans by the neck and pull them out of the criminal justice system so we can help them be the same kind of success as civilians they were in the military. You know, it's not the military's job to make you a successful civilian. And sometimes, especially if you struggled before you went into the military, it can be hard to adjust to that big free world that we all take for granted. But especially by reconnecting veterans with other vets and by helping them understand and access benefits they've earned, very often we can help vets win and win fast. One of our guests today is Rebecca Mills, and you met her. She is a proud Navy veteran, much like our recently reelected governor, Eric Holcomb, and my great uncle, who drove a LST landing craft in seven major invasions during the Pacific War, including Okinawa. How did you meet Rebecca? Because she's who I want to talk to next because her story is so fascinating. Um, I, f I first met Rebecca when she was arrested, which is how I get to meet veterans who end up in our veterans treatment court. But she had the courage to say she wanted something different and she was willing to work hard to get it. We're particularly grateful for Rebecca's service to our country, but also her example to other veterans because now she's serving as a volunteer mentor for veterans currently in our veterans treatment program. But Rebecca is such a superstar. We're so proud and grateful for what she's done for her family, as well as for her country, uh, that she was the honored guest and featured speaker at our veterans court graduation recently. We're very happy to have Rebecca with us today so that she can speak from her experience about how she got things back on track. Rebecca, all of us who've known uh, Judge Serto for decades at this point, we all have very interesting stories about how we met him. Yours, <laughs> I think, is probably the most interesting. Please tell me about your experience interfacing not only with Judge Serto, but also the Veterans Court. Well, let me start with saying that um, Judge Serto is absolutely amazing um, at encouraging each and every participant um, to do his or her best. I know me, when I started there I, I would go to court and I had my head down and I was ashamed of everything I'd done and you know it seemed like week after week my head would slowly just go up each a notch each week just because standing in front of a judge is um you know kind of scary and here he is totally opposite of what I've expected he was reminding me of, you know, my service record and encouraged me that, you know, I could be who I was back then and, and reminded me that, you know, I could build a life that I was proud of again. And, um, you know, the, he, he doesn't condemn anybody, him or his court, you know, you're surrounded by loving, caring individuals who generally care. And that's what helped me um, want to do better because, you know, not only disappointing myself, but here I had people rooting for me and helping me. I surely didn't want to let any of them down either. So he's just an amazing person. And, you know, 
volunteer, he volunteers to do this veteran court. And I know that's over and beyond his regular duties. And anybody that does that, does that from the heart. And you just couldn't ask for anything better. And I'm just very grateful that, you know, he was my judge and um, I was provided a second chance, you know, to prove myself again and be redeemed. And they helped me get there. So do you find that the drive to get past what led you to Judge Serto's court is just another aspect of the drive that puts you in a position to volunteer. The most amazing thing about the 21st century military are all the millions of young men and women who volunteered after 9-11, not knowing where they're going to end up. That was my son's case. But Rebecca, you had the courage and the and the fortitude and the patriotism to put your name on that paper, raise your right hand. Is that coming back to you more and more every day? I think so. Yeah, I would have to say that. Um, it definitely made me feel proud uh, week after week, month after month. You know, the, the program for me was a year. And, um, you know, we started the session, each session with, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance. And it was just, it was something that was pride. It reminded me, it was the camaraderie, you know, that I once had. And it was more like a family um you know, setting and environment. And we all rooted each other on like we were in the military again. And it's just really encouraging for everybody um, in the program. And I think that's what kept me um, motivated and, and driven was because here I felt a part of something again, you know, going to civilian life, you, you have to learn how to readjust and you feel alone and isolated. I myself was isolated and recluse for a good 10 months, I think, before I got arrested and um, was in Judge Serto's courtroom. But, you know, it's it's just amazing to feel accepted again. And um, I'm just very, very grateful for that opportunity. And you had the added burden uh, for your, uh, the cause of your appearance being in Veterans Court. You had the added burden of what happened to you being a public incident uh, much covered by media not only here in Indianapolis but quite frankly across the country we won't get into those details because we respect you but did that just make it of course of course Rebecca we're thrilled to have you on the podcast (laughs) thank you you're welcome but did that make it just that much tougher to make the decisions you needed to make uh, to put yourself on a different path Um, I think that incident that you're talking about um, is what made me become more of a recluse and isolated and, um, you know, just not wanting to be around anymore. And, you know, I do, I look at me getting arrested again was, um, you know, a miracle from God, you know, putting me on the right track. And um, I do... um, think that had I not gone through that um, I wouldn't be where I'm at today you know I had to do go through everything but the humiliation it really humbled me and I I I do think I needed that and um, you know just the, the process 
of everything that I went through with Veterans Court and that second chance just helped me to see life in a new perspective. And, you know, now I look forward to, you know, I, I can walk down the street and just see somebody with their head down and I'm the one going up to them and just say, hey, you know, come on, you want to talk? Is everything okay? You know, and just present them a smile because I remember being like that. So I, I, I got to say, I'm glad I went through it. It was rough and, but I wouldn't be who I am today had I not gone through all that. And I don't know if I answered your question. No, you, an you answered it. <laughs> You answered it perfectly. Judge Serto said that in some cases, being being in the criminal justice system, especially in front of his court, is the best thing that can happen because it is a true a dividing line in someone's life. Would you agree with that? I do fully. Yes, fully agree. Um, you know, there I he mentioned, you know, I'm a mentee um, in the veterans court program now, and it feels good to be able to give back um, and be a part of of that family, you know, and um, help other people struggling because, you know, they might have not gone through everything I went through, but um, I can understand, you know, we all struggle differently, but if we can just all give everybody a chance, you know, have more compassion to people. And, and I, and I guess that's where the court taught me the most was about compassion, no judging, you know, just complete understanding because, um, you know, everybody's got it rough in this world, but I think veterans have it um, a little bit rougher, especially adjusting to civilian life. And sometimes we make those poor choices and, but that doesn't define who we are. You know, we're just, um, I don't know, we, we kind of fall off track, you know, we're, we're not meant to be alone. And military teaches us that we need each other. And then when we do become civilians, we're not together anymore. We're not united and, and we kind of feel like a loss. So it's hard to adjust back in. And Veterans Court kind of completed me um, and helped me feel like I was a part of a family again. And that helped me grow out, you know, to reach out to other people and you know, I don't feel alone anymore. And then I guess, you know, it start, it all started in veterans court because they showed me they cared when I didn't think anybody cared in this world anymore. So it's very that's, important. That's very, very well said. And all of us who have known uh, the judge for a long time understand that the veterans court is an extension of his service, of his personality and of his faith, quite frankly, of which yes. we're all very proud. We're very, very lucky to know David Serto. If you if you happen to be friends with Brian Alvey, especially Facebook friends, you are a very lucky man. He is a lively social media commentator and a man who has gone above and beyond in his service to his country. He's loved by Republicans and Democrats and Marines and squids and flyboys alike, and we're thrilled to have him on. Brian, do you remember the day that you decided, you know what, I think I'm going to join the military. I think I need to do this. Ironically enough, I actually do because it was a Thursday. And if you'd have asked me on, let's say that previous Tuesday, if I'd have ever joined the military, I'd have said, heck no, no, never, ever. I'd, I'd successfully avoided all the military recruiters all the way through high school. And uh, <laughs> I, you know, 
I, 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 I would have never thought about it, even though, you know, you watched all the movies and stuff and you kind of fantasize it. I think all young boys do at some point uh, fantasize about being the war hero and things like that. And I, I, I don't know what I think it was in 91. Uh, just got out of high school. Jobs weren't exactly uh, everywhere at that point. And I, I, I don't know what got into me one day, but I just, Fine. I said, fine, I will listen to your spiel. And I listened to it and on paper and everything, it just made total sense. Uh, I signed up that quickly. I just made a decision and moved forward. And then fast forward 20 years, nine months and four days later, I retired um, with a, that was combined through my service, active duty reserve and uh, national guard. You retired, you went and as a listed man and stayed enlisted the whole time. Oh yeah. I had an opportunity to get my commission uh, at some point because I had all the, the college and all that stuff. And I just wasn't something I was real interested in. Uh, I just spent time as a drill sergeant. So I think that lobotomy just ingrained in my head as I was a permanent non-commissioned officer. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, I eventually was medically retired due to some injuries I sustained in Afghanistan. I was medicaled out when uh, a little bit later in my career, I was thinking about maybe taking my commission, but that was just kind of taken off the table. Your military career has uh, served as a bit of a travel agency for you. Where all did you uh, vacation? Well, for the most part, I was in Afghanistan. I made the mistake, I, I like to jokingly refer to it as a mistake, of learning how to speak Dari, which is Afghan Farsi. And uh, so I never went to Iraq. I always went to Afghanistan. I've been to other little spots around the Middle East, but predominant amount of my career, both in uniform and then later after I was done serving uniform, I went back as a Department of Defense, Department of State, uh, private contractor. So I spent most of that, almost all that time in Afghanistan. It culminated into about just shy of about three years combined. Uh, there, we we know some other Afghan vets. I mentioned my son, Joshua, and also should mention uh, Al Inslee, who spent, I think, six months over there. And a lot of us know Al, and he was in the Marine <laughs> Reserve. Um, what did you find when you were in Afghanistan Did you get the sense that the people wanted us there? In 2004, 2005, absolutely. I really did. And I think for the most part, they did. Uh, it, you know, I was so I, I was there for both their first election, and then I was back there for their second election once uh, Karzai had done his, uh, his uh, full two terms. And then when they had the next election, when they brought in the next president. So I, I had the opportunity to be there for both. And um, it was an amazing thing, uh, that first election, to be there, part of it, to provide the security so they could uh, have that democratic process to elect their, their representative government. Uh, it was a little, it honestly, it was a little less crazy than what's going on here in the United States right now, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, a couple little flare-ups, but nothing, nothing really dramatic. It, it was, it, we were on high alert for that whole thing, the, all the U.S. forces over there, and it went off without a hitch with, with next to no drama. It was amazing. Uh, so the people, they're very, they're, they were very appreciative of us being there. But, uh, you know, those things wane with time. It's amazing to me to think that we're still there um, at this point. Um, when I was back there as a contractor, um, I was the program manager for the organization that I represented for the whole country of Afghanistan. And it was what pretty much everybody was looking for in the job in that industry. It, it, it paid very well. I felt like I was making a difference till I didn't. And, um, 
it was almost like a bad B movie scene, very poetic sitting on the side of a mountain. One day I just realized I was like, this is, I got to go. I'm done. Uh, called back to home, said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it quits. I'm going to come home, called the, called the owner of the organization that I worked for and represented and said, look, uh, I'm done. I've hit the wall and I'm going to train up my deputy program manager here. And, uh, and then 45 days later, I was at the house. I was done. I have not been back. We talked a little bit about how we all met, uh, judge Serto. Uh, do you remember when you met oh, Dave? Yeah. Uh, Gosh, I've known the judge for well over two decades now. Um, we met, I think we met at some sort of function at the Columbia Club, downtown India at one point. And then I just instinctively really liked him. Uh, we became friends. I always had a lot of admiration for him as a friend. And then when I heard that he was getting the nod to head up this veterans court, uh, I just, I couldn't think of anybody better to do it. Uh, everything he's done with it since its inception, it just, my my respect level has just gotten that much deeper, um, entrenched for him. Uh, what he's done there is just amazing what he's done for her and all these other people that I've known that, that have had to go or needed to go through his program. He's absolutely right that sometimes it is the best thing that could happen to certain individuals to be arrested and to have to go through his program. Um, I, I honestly can't say enough good things about him. I consider him a great friend. He and his, his family, and I've known him for a long time. Judge, talk a little bit, please, about not only your veterans court, but it's not just a court. It's not just a place where people go. The totality of, of the nonprofit, of the, of the organization that you are involved with, quite frankly, created in many ways. Uh, it's not just about laws. There are several other services that you provide as well. I'm very grateful to be part of a team, and that really, Robert, is the best part of my job. Uh, it's true, people are real polite to me at the courthouse, right? But it's a, a really a community effort that makes the court a success. Rebecca put her finger on it. It isn't really drugs or alcohol that usually mental health that kills veterans. It's isolation. You know, the military takes individuals and breaks them down so they're part of a team and no longer solitary individuals. Well, that's great until the team goes away. And if the only voice you hear is the one in your head, if you're in a basement, maybe smoking, maybe hanging around the wrong people, it's no surprise that things might go off the rails. By the time you realize it, you might be living in a car. You might have no contact with your kids or your family or your fellow veterans. And that isolation is a huge contributor to 20 veterans killing themselves every day. And not just ones who've been in combat, not just ones who've deployed, but veterans who get isolated tend to be a bigger danger to themselves, especially because men are so good at completing suicide attempts, very often with firearms. And it can really scare those of us who work with veterans. We had a guy come to court who's a Marine. And what frightened me was he stared at his shoes the entire time we talked. Now, I've never met a Marine who stared at his shoes, right? Marines fight communism. They uh, get toys for tots. They hang together in every sense. They do not stare at their shoes. And that's what really frightened me. Uh, when we see things that aren't normal, like a veteran getting arrested, it's our responsibility as a community to do something different about it. And we're very grateful. We can't do this just with government funding. We have a private entity that you very kindly help raise money for uh, that helps with things maybe government can't pay for. We have donors who help us. 
We also have, though, a whole team of people in the community. You know, if you served only in the reserve, which is great, or served only in the guard, which is fabulous and may well get you deployed because Indiana is so good with support services, keeping the regular army in the field, you might well end up not earning veterans benefits through the VA. But we work really hard to help connect community services like Eskenazi Mental Health or Fathers and Families, which helps many of our veterans get reconnected with their kids. Or Hoosier Veterans Assistance Foundation that helps struggling homeless veterans get their feet under them again so they can catch a breath behind a door they can close at night and get a decent night's sleep and receive mail all in one place. You know, the VFW and the American Legion have been so great about helping us to reconnect veterans. And, you know, it's no accident we have people do community service at HVAF or at a VFW post because they get to be around veterans again and reconnect. Very often when veterans first get arrested, you know, they come to court, they're wearing clothes that they could find. They may have not shaved or had a haircut in a long time, but something changes. And I'm trying to learn more about this moment. Something happens where men come to court and they stand at parade rest. Women are taking care of themselves again. They start to wear their insignia of having served. I mean, the first time a guy puts on his jump wings again, fantastic. And we're trying to learn more about how to get veterans to that moment faster. And this community steps up to do it. Um, whether it's those volunteers at uh, Operation Job Ready Vets to help hire veterans. You know, we thought Rebecca would be a great fit for a, an office job uh, at one of um, our environmental engineering friends firms. They hired her on the spot to work as a field representative because she has that kind of talent. Uh, but she really was modest in talking about her accomplishments. Now she's reconnected with her family. She's working a terrific job. She's going to church, active in the community. She is what makes our country great. And that's someone who served and then comes back and serves some more. Thank you. Also, please, and this is why veterans have the special place in our society and should. Dave, please talk about the food bank that you're involved with that is so critical and and how how popular it is and and the population it serves Uh, before we had a a veterans treatment court we had a community court uh, out in fountain square and it was great because it was a relationship between a court and a geographic area but you know one day uh, i i was sitting in the public defender's uh, office there she had a candy dish on her uh, her desk And I helped myself to a piece of candy and I observed, you know, it's not Halloween. Why do you have a dish of candy on your desk? I almost choked when she said, you know, I see my clients about nine in the morning and court starts at one. And many of them won't have eaten anything all day by the time they get to court. And first, we should all be mad if people in our community are hungry. And second, we knew that was an issue we could address, especially if people were shoplifting or stealing because they're hungry or their families are hungry. We can fix that. And we did with some partners we had out at St. Joan of Arc and some other churches in the area, we were able to get a group of volunteers to come into the courthouse and operate a food pantry there so that if you were hungry or your family were hungry, we could take that issue off the table and address whatever was bothering folks next. But we were very grateful to have that problem-solving approach to low-level crime, right? We're not dealing with murderers. We're trying to help people who've made mistakes get things back on track by addressing the issues that brought us together in a cost-effective but practically effective way too. So if it's alcohol, we'll talk about alcohol. If it's housing, we can work on that. If you don't have a job, but you'd like one, the second best predictor besides criminal history of somebody staying out of trouble is getting and keeping meaningful work, having a mission when you get out of bed in the morning, just like when you were in the service. So we're really excited, even though that court closed, 
we were able to open the Veterans Treatment Court and that food pantry moved to the former St. Patrick's School down in Fountain Square and continues to this day, even through the pandemic, when we've been supplying other pantries that had been open, uh, both through schools and through the Hoosier Veterans Assistance Foundation pantry, which has stayed open to veterans and their families. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall, and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney, and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guests today are Rebecca Mills, Brian Alvey, and Judge David Serto. We're talking about veterans and veterans court and how much we owe the people who sign their name on that piece of paper, raise their right hand and serve their country. Rebecca, what I'm hearing from Judge Serto is another manifestation of how veterans help each other. How are you helping veterans through your interaction with the court? And does that give you some special meaning? Um, well, uh, first, um, I am a mentor. Um, I've mentored a couple females in veterans court and, um, you know, I just, I look at it as paying it forward. You know, the people that were there for me to help me get back on my feet. Um, I can't take credit for it. You know, everything that I've done is, you know, all the glories to God. And I just, you know, I'm just a servant now and paying it forward and just being that, that person, um, that friend, um, a sister or, you know, a shipmate, um, to, to others that need it. Um, it's just, uh, it's my duty, I guess. How much different did you find civilian world as opposed to being in the military? Um, you know, when I got out, I, I went from being active duty and right into motherhood. And um, I was pursuing my bachelor's degree. And so I, I was kind of busy all the time. And then I relocated out to Indianapolis and got a job at Department of Veterans Affairs Benefits Administration. And it was when I got a medical retirement from there that everything stopped and I was no longer working and interacting with other people. Um, and that's when I began to, you know, be more alone. And um, it was a slippery slope. It wasn't all at once. It was just a gradual, um, you know, then I started having health issues and getting um, medicated and self-medicating. And it was just a slippery slope. Um, so it was not noticeable all at once. It just hit, boom, rock bottom. How does it feel to you when you go to an event, and it happens more frequently now than in the past, certainly, when the person who serves as kind of the MC of the event asks all the veterans to stand? Very proud. Very proud. Um, you know, I take honor in... Um, 
standing for the flag and all the men and women who served before me. And, um, you know, I just, my, uh, I get a lump in my throat and, you know, put my hand over my heart, you know, for saying the American anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance. It's just, um, there's no words to express. I'm just very patriotic and, and love for our country. Brian, I'm going to ask you a big question. And um, I can't think of very few people uh, more qualified to answer than you. But what could the civilian world learn from the military? Oh, well, I think we, they, they learn a lot from the military, whether they realize it or not. Um, and that's kind of why Adam and I, Adam Smith and I started the Warrior 110 last year. So for an example, everybody knows that um, hospital, especially emergency room, trauma medicine, the learning curve for those folks go vertical during a wartime. Uh, the, our, our medicine improves dramatically and how doctors work with trauma because they have, well, frankly, they have an opportunity to practice a lot during a wartime. So that goes, that, that, that learning curve goes vertical. And then one of the things, but sometimes not so much like with respect to the mental health issues that so many veterans are struggling with, like post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and the physical aspects of chronic pain that which lead all those three things lead to the epidemic that has become the veteran suicide of 22 a day. Um, well, when you, when you factor that in, we, we, veterans don't have a monopoly on those things. There's a lot of people that suffer. Let's use post-traumatic stress. For instance, there's a lot of people a lot more than veterans in our society that deal with post-traumatic stress. You've got sexual assault victims. You've got people that were in horrific automobile accidents and uh, saw people die or just even close loved ones. Um, there's a lot of just having a bad upbringing, you know, not having a, a, a having a less than stellar childhood. Those things can all attribute to there's a lot of people walking around with those issues so now we need to do the same thing we do with combat emergency trauma where that learning curve goes vertical we need to do the same thing for some of the the, the invisible scars that people walk around with day to day like post-traumatic stress and then the physical aspects of tbi and uh, chronic pain also so the biggest thing we try to do with the warrior 110 is to bring awareness to those things um we also try to raise some funds to help support things. Uh, last year, we raised quite a few thousand dollars for, uh, you guys have already mentioned, HVAF, Hoosier Veterans Assistant Foundation. Uh, I know the uh, gentleman that's in charge of that organization, a wonderful human being, uh, General uh, Copes, U.S. Army retired. Uh, I knew that if we raised money for that organization, it was going to go to a good cause and every dollar, every dime, every penny would be spent appropriately. So that's why we did it with his organization. This year, we're doing it for an organization. We're getting ready to step off on our 110 mile road march this Saturday. We're raising it to send as many uh, combat veterans through the Brian Bill Foundation. The Brian Bill Foundation is down in Florida where they focus directly with warriors that has suffered from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, chronic pain, and they do it through equine therapy. You work with the horses, you get out there, you, you, you take care of the horses, you ride with the horses. They do things like eye rest meditation, yoga, quite a few things that have proven to, to help individuals develop coping skills. So these are things that, you know, I don't know if post-traumatic stress ever 
completely goes away. But what this does is it gives people an opportunity how to to cope with it, how to deal with it. Um, you know, that's some of the things that Adam and I, unfortunately, we didn't have the benefits of like a court, like what Judge Cerdo's doing. We've had to get through it on our own. And it was by pure luck, mostly, that we were able to get through those things on our own. Um, we were blessed by God to be able to do that. Uh, and I can't say it enough. We were very, very lucky to get through those things on our own. So now, as good non-commissioned officers that we are, we're reaching back and trying to pull others through as well. We help those individuals, the men and women to our left and our right. And that's why we do what we do now. And uh, and it, it's it's running parallel with the things that the judge is doing. You know, we, you know, we're, we're working with, in a sense, even though we have, don't have a direct affiliation. Um, it's, uh, it's combating these issues that, with, that, that veterans face. And then to answer your question, when we do that, all of society benefits because we all struggle from similar things. Our city and our state have benefited from leadership by individuals whose career began in the military. And that may be Eric Holcomb, Greg Ballard, Joe Kernan, just to name three. Brian, what do you think it is about the military that creates such transformative men of action and integrity and how Indiana has benefited from that? Well, first and foremost, it's the culture of leadership. We the military teaches leadership. You, you're learning leadership from day one. When you show up to basic training or boot camp, you um, within a day or two they have assigned squad leaders and you know platoon guides to the. They are they are teaching leadership from day one. They've figured it out. Uh, you know we've got since you know we're going on two hundred some years of, of of our military's existence where the first and foremost aspect of that is leadership, leadership, leadership. And, and, and that's, it's difficult, not impossible to acquire as a civilian, but it's just a little bit more difficult when you come up with a code. I don't think our universities are teaching leadership, uh, at least not directly. I know there's some entrepreneurial and MBA programs out there that are uh, exceptional, but uh, as a whole, especially at the bachelor's level, the undergrad level, you, you don't see a whole lot of leadership being taught. You're, 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 they've, they're taught a lot of followership. You know, they teach them how to follow, but they don't teach them how to lead. And part of leading is thinking and making decisions and, and knowing that your decisions affect everyone around you farther than you can see. And there's a sense of accountability that I think those individuals, like you mentioned, have deep inside of them that, you know, maybe the average person walking the street doesn't have. And we should mention Congressman Jim Baird, Vietnam veteran. <laughs> Todd Young, who's been on the podcast, a graduate of the Naval Academy. Uh, also mentioned Lacey Johnson, who's a friend to many of us who served. And also uh, Carol Mutter, who was first lieutenant general, a female lieutenant general in Marine Corps history, lives right here in Indiana. Uh, let's change topics just a little bit because I want to have some fun in the last few minutes we have. And God love Rebecca. She's actually at work and making time for us. And we're very great. We're very grateful. So, so the last few minutes we have here, let's let's have a little bit of fun. Um, Judge Serto, what's your favorite uh, war movie? I, I, I just can't get away from Saving Private Ryan. Uh, if you if you never get the chance to serve, I know it, uh, much of it is made up story, 
but they really emphasize not just the trauma that can come from combat, but how much the veterans really rely on each other. I always was amazed by that. But uh, strangely enough, uh, some of the foreign films that we've seen, too, uh, like, like uh, ones describing the, the French experience in Paths to Glory or the Australians in Gallipoli, um, if you look at the uh, Battle of Isandwana, right, that's been depicted in a couple of really great uh, films discussing uh, not just uh, hubris, but how everybody's fighting for his own reasons. Uh, I, I love to, to see our history documented, uh, and I love to hear actors talk about it. You, you look at a guy uh, who worked in Forrest Gump, Right. And uh, all of a sudden he's leading the Lieutenant Dan band and raising money for veterans. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure uh, when his agent called and said, hey, do you want to play Lieutenant Dan? Gary Sinise didn't say, oh, I'm looking for another cause, but it really transformed his life. So I think there's some really terrific examples, but especially ones that help civilians relate to what people in the military go through, I think is, is really terrific. And we should note that the Leaders and Legends podcast has had the real Forrest Gump as a guest, and that is Medal of Honor recipient Sammy Davis. Mm-hmm. Brian, what's your favorite war movie? You know, I'm kind of an old soul, so I like those old ones. I like Sansa Iwo Jima, Tora, 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 all the, you know, the, the old ones, the John Wayne ones, but my favorite, honestly, have to be the ones I have a connection to, like 12 Strong, 18 Hours, or uh, Black Hawk Down, because I the people that are depicted in those movies are friends of mine. So there, there's just a, a connection there. And then, you know, it just where I'm at in my life, I, I try not to get wrapped around too many serious things. Uh, so I, I'm more akin these days, probably to watch like in the army now, a Pauly Shore. <laughs> I try to keep it light. Life is serious enough. So That's I, way know, light. maybe Sergeant Vilko with Steve Martin. I don't know. <laughs> CPO Sharky with, uh, there you Don go. Rickles. Um, you I remember watching, I remember watching 13 hours. I think that's the movie 13 hours. 13 about hours. Yeah. With yeah. my son. And one of the interesting things about it, to your point, Brian, was he's like, I served with guys exactly like that. And he fired those weapons that were in that movie. And he goes, well, at least they're using them correctly. Half these movies, they don't even use them correctly. So the, it was just weird to, to sit there with someone who had actually been through it and could understand why they were doing what they were doing. And well, the three gentlemen doing. that are kind of the focal point of that, uh, Tig, Tonto, and uh, Oz are all good, three good friends of mine I know for the contracting world. So uh, I actually had uh, had uh, the opportunity to bring Oz in and speak at the War Memorial a few years ago, and I had the distinct honor and privilege of sitting right next to our – she, she was the second lady at the time, first lady, my, my dear friend, uh, first lady Janet Am- or, former Amos, now Holcomb, sit the front row with me while uh, Oz got up and spoke, uh, told everybody his story about that horrible day. And uh, so I just have that connection. And so I, I have to, by default, say those. So although they are very difficult to watch. And I bet they are. And Janet Holcomb does so much for veterans, along with yes, Terry, along with Terry Stacy from Amos. Terry Stacy is a tremendous uh, supporter of veterans. And quite frankly, so is uh, Ruth Ann Gordon at, uh, 50, at Channel 4, Channel 59. Um, always go out of their way. Uh, Let's Rebecca, be honest, though, Robert. Rebecca, go yeah, ahead. The right, the right answer is stripes. 
But, I, mean, <laughs> I will defer to the judge's good judgment once again. <laughs> that was, I was actually, uh, when I went through basic training, because uh, Stripes is filmed at Fort Knox, which they hilariously yeah. renamed Fort Arnold after Benedict Arnold. Uh, but that, <laughs> the uh, barracks they used was right in where my company was. So all those old school World War II barracks, when I, when I went to the, dropped off at Fort Knox at whatever o'clock in the morning uh, from Indianapolis, I was like, why does this look so familiar? And it wasn't until I watched Stripes again that I'm like, oh my God, I was right there in the middle of this, <laughs> this old school world. Rebecca, what's your favorite uh, war movie? Well, I'm not a big war movie person, but, um, you know, A Few Good Men, I liked, um, I liked that, but. How about a song? Proud to be an American. That's actually what was my next question, Rebecca. You beat me to it. What's your most, hey. uh, what's your favorite patriotic song, Rebecca? Is that it? Proud to be an American. Yes, sir. Brian? <laughs> oh, I, you're never going to surpass our, our national anthem for me, especially when it's done right. I still harken back to when uh, Whitney Houston sung it at the Super Bowl, right when we were right in the middle of the Gulf War. Um, you know, that was at 1990. Uh, uh, that, mm -hmm. Oh, man, I, I I can listen to that right now and it'll give me goosebumps every time. Dave, that's the right answer. At Notre Dame, they present the colors and read the preamble to the Constitution of the United States before each game as they raise the flag. Sometimes they have a flyover. I cry every time uh, at Notre Dame. Our most treasured sign says God, country, Notre Dame. And there's just no getting away from it. That's why I got out of bed this morning. I have to, uh, to answer my own question, I would say that the, uh, um, the battle hymn of the Republic, and I remember being at Mass uh, the Sunday after 9-11, and they played it, and it was the loudest the church had ever been. People were just belting it out. It's such a beautiful, beautiful uh, hymn. You've been listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise. And sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, the Crown Plaza Hotel, Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the law firm of Bose, McKinney and Evans, and the Bose Public Affairs Group, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guests today have been Judge David Serto, Afghan War Veteran Brian Alvey, and a veteran of the United States Navy, Rebecca Mills, we're very, very, very honored to have you on the podcast. We thank you for your service. I'm going to give each of you one last chance to talk about what helping veterans means to you. Judge? I help veterans because they ensure that I'm able to get out of bed in the morning and do what I want to do, what I've chosen to do. I love working with veterans because they know what normal looks like. And especially in a misdemeanor court, we often suffer from a crisis of imagination. People don't know what normal looks like. They don't know they could have a better life than they do. And I love that veterans come to us already with values, used to working in teams with the instinct to help other people. And it's an inspiration to me every day. Brian? So um, I do so because it's my obligation. It's, it, we took an oath. There is no expiration to those oaths. Whether I wear the uniform anymore or not doesn't matter. Uh, I have an obligation to my own, and who better? You know, you can't expect other people to take care of you and yours if you're not willing to take care of your own. That's why once a year I walk 110 miles from the Ohio River to Franklin 
and uh, with the Warrior 110, and we're to help our own, and uh, that's that's why I do it. Rebecca, I do it. Um, you know, I took the oath, um, but it's it's family. It's it's comforting when I run into another veteran. There's an immediate bond. There's that camaraderie. It's just, you know, I might not know them personally, but to say that they served, you know. Um, sign their name on that dotted line, then, you know, they, they've made some sacrifices and I can relate to that. It's just, um, there's, there's no doubt about it. It's just a bond. You can't break. So to my uncle George, to my father, to my mother, to my uncle Bob, to my uncle Joe, To my brother, Michael, my brother, Jimmy, to my cousin, Michael, to my son, Joshua, to my niece, Katie, to my nephew, Michael, to my uncle, Ed, thank you all for your service. And thank you, Rebecca, Dave Serto, and Brian Alvey for your service and your time today. Thank you for yours as well. Thank you for yours. Thank you for your service. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. 